Thank you for tuning in to CIO Speaks with host Steve Ginsberg. If you enjoy this episode, please check out the other episodes in this series and go to gigaohm.com to find more of Steve's research and insights. Hi, welcome to the CIO Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Steve Ginsberg. This is part two of our discussion with Colin Corbett. Colin has been a leader in internet engineering with principal roles at PayPal, eBay, YouTube, Google, Dropbox, Netflix, Twitch, and others. In this episode, Colin and I will continue our discussion on data center management. So we've talked about uh, you know getting in a great data center contract, um, making sure the data center is going to have the spec um, that that you really need for for your location in the best ways. Um, you talked about having integrators kind of roll in a rack, but you know in terms of what that rack should look like, you know I I know you're as detailed oriented as just about anyone that that I've talked to about that. What makes for a really great data center rack and and you know kind of uh, rack installation? How do you optimize? What's your approach there? So the first thing I try to do is I, I try to limit to, uh, first I try to limit it to, to a certain number of SKUs. So if you have like a web, a video, a database, and a network rack, that's basically four types of SKUs. So, you know, the, if you have your integrator only know, you know, only has to build a certain types of things that that's, that's great because then they're not having to stock a bunch of different equipment, you've maybe got it down to three or four different types of racks. Um, and then, uh, sure, as over time, you're going to end up having to deal with revision control, but try to, you know, do revisions every, you know, not every single build should be a unique snowflake. You should try and start to have lots of constant revisions where everything looks pretty much in lockstep for a three, six, or nine-month period, let's say. Um, so things like the network rack would have, you know, one vendor's worth of gear and it's laid out, you know, you know, perfectly as well as the webs, the videos and the database. And sure, as Intel or AMD release new CPUs, you're going to have to iterate that as hard drives become, uh, obsolete or, um, end of life by the vendor and you have to swap that you're going to have to iterate, but try to do it at, uh, you know, Certainly never try and say, well, this rack's got half of the old gear and half of the new gear. Work with your, your integrator to make sure that you know, you've got very clear delineations of this is version A and this is version B, et cetera. Yeah, I've seen teams look at that uh, not only to make sure that the rack can be well-maintained, but even to get to the, the fact where even the cage has incredibly similar uh, detail between multiple cages as you start to have lots of data centers and lots of data center cages just to make sure that uh, site operations people can move in and efficiently do the right thing and not kind of spend too much time figuring out how the whole cage installation even works. Right. At, um, so at YouTube, for instance, we did, we ended up asking for a very specific type of cage from our vendor. It was basically a nine rack cage. And it started with the first rack is the network rack. The rest of the racks for this was all video for video pops and the rest of the racks were all video. Um, and those looked, you know, and that was all very clean, but it got to the point that we even had bins for all of our spare tools, things like fiber, copper, spare hard drives. But across all of our pops, you knew that the 
top leftmost bin was one meter LC duplex fiber and the bottom right uh, bin, you know, eight rows over five bins down was spare, you know, spare hard drives. And it became very clear that, and it was great because you could teach the, you could teach your technicians what it would look like, but also when you would have to go and call for remote hands at night, you knew that every data center was exactly the same. And it was really helpful, especially when you're looking for spare parts or optics or things like that. And then in terms of the rack itself, um, what's your approach for kind of optimizing for power and both sort of power that's available to the rack and then providing that power to the rack? Um, let's think. So I'm, I'm very happy with a, so, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of like jumping around. Um, so with the, let me, uh, could you ask the question again? I'll start sure. with that. Yeah. So how do you think about rack power, both how power should be specified for the rack and then also provided to the rack? So for that, I usually will ask for the, I'll usually ask for a circuit that's going to be bigger than what I need so that I usually either have room to burst or I'll ask for something where I never really run at, in jeopardy of, of, uh, of exceeding breakers. You certainly can have cases where, that being said, you also have cases where the nameplate rating on all the hardware is far in excess of what you actually will see in in standard use. Um, a lot of that you end up refining over as you actually see the equipment and your workload. Um, sometimes though that does change as you keep having bad pushes. So you kind of need to accommodate headroom for that too, because you can have bad pushes that increase your workload um, extensively. The, but yeah, usually you work with the data center provider and you'll, you know, especially in the wholesale world, you can ask for, you can, you know, you, you can ask provision whichever circuit you want. And so usually I'll try to settle on one that's certainly got enough headroom for me and it allows me to scale. And, uh, and yeah, and as long as there's sufficient cooling for that, you just, you try to go as dense as you can within, you know, within your limitation because, the denser you are, you end up with less overall switches. You end up with um, more rack space free or more rack positions free, et cetera. You mentioned, um, I believe that uh, you started working with your teams with a kind of a standardizing on a DMARC rack. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so that was, um, that was one of the interesting things we ran into with uh, as you start doing a lot of wholesale deployments, the idea of um, eventually we wanted to kind of start being in a wholesale deployment, but also having the flexibility to swap other infrastructure out. So if you had, let's say, network and server racks that you knew were going to keep evolving rapidly, could you go and be in a standard data center and not shut the data center down completely, keep, still keep it operating in some fashion, but still be able to go and upgraded in bulk. So what, one of the things we came up with, and this is, was mainly for um, retail locations, was land all your cross connects at a, at a unified DMARC, and you run all your fiber from your network racks to the DMARC, and 
all your cross connects out to your network providers and your peers that land there. And then you can keep then with enough coordination and planning, you can swap out your server racks, you can swap out your network racks, and the DMARC stays the same. Also, if you plan really far ahead, you have um, and you're in a data center that you've never really made your first delivery to, you send the DMARC rack first because it really only has maybe fiber panels and maybe a couple of power strips and not much else in it. If something bad happens to that rack, let's say it falls off the truck, the overall dollar value of that is actually pretty low. And so you can kind of work out a lot of problems about doing the delivery very far in advance with a rack that has, you know, is very quickly built and has an overall low dollar value compared to some of the $100,000 to $1 million racks that you can have out there. That's cool. Um, how do you think about the vendor solutions that are out there for customized racks, say the APC racks and uh, Dell racks and rackables? And there's kind of a, a lot of uh, consumer options uh, today. Um, I've had some overall good and bad um, between them. So um, the the main thing is just making sure that they uh, that they all meet your need. I've certainly run into questions where the racks look great, and I say, okay, can I fully load this and roll it into the data center? And they go, well, this is its static weighting, which is very different than its rolling weighting. So if you actually wanted to put 2,500 or 3,000 pounds worth of gear, you can't roll it in with 3,000 pounds worth of gear. So that's one of the interesting things to run into. Or, or you say, hey, I have a 60-amp three-phase uh, power plug, and they say, well, that's great, but there's no hole in the top of the rack to actually fit that out of, or you need to order a special top, or you need to run it with no top to kind of make sure that all fits. So those are all all interesting issues. Um, for me, when I've worked with integrators, we've also seen things like, I've seen racks where they've the customer has come to them saying, I have three different types of airflow, either side to side or side to back or front to back, and all these kind of, Stranger things, and I've, a good integrator will certainly help you make sure that all of that's correct. They'll do the air baffling to make sure that all works. Um, and also things like uh, balancing all the phases, especially when, when you have things like three-phase power. Um, as for working with some of the larger vendors, I've, I've had a lot of strange issues when I want to specify certain types of gear. So things like if I have a a favorite RAID or a favorite NIC card that I want to use in my infrastructure that I've certified from, you know, that we've approved from using our white box solutions. Um, we've definitely had cases where the bigger vendors have not been able to source it or they can't get in a reasonable amount of time. Um, also, we've run into cases where they'll sell a standard off-the-shelf hard drive, but with their custom firmware. And if they no longer support that drive or that drive's not sold through that vendor, I can't replace that drive or buy new drives uh, straight from the manufacturer anymore because they don't have the custom firmware on it. So I've certainly run into those issues, and uh, that's not been fun. I'm trying to trying to resolve that, and has become a yeah a few interesting issues there. How about as you move to uh, custom storage arrays, blade servers, or even uh, hyperconverged uh, infrastructure? So. There's some interesting things there too. The uh, a lot of the a lot of the problems actually end up being physical. So some of the newer arrays I've seen, they're 
basically 36 inches deep. Um, but the data centers, by most data centers, especially retail data centers by standard, will only ever give you a 36 inch deep rack. Um, or they have aisles designed around 36 inch deep rack. So what that means is that you end up needing like a 42 inch or 48 inch deep rack, which generally does not fit in the data center or doesn't give you the ability to service them. So if you ever had to go and work on the rack in the back, let's say to pull out the switch that you've rear mounted, you might not be able to either open the door or you might not even be able to go and pull the switch out to go and service it and swap it. Um, so it's really interesting that you, you can run into those issues. Also, you'll see things like um, shallower um, cold aisle racks where they'll try to go and make the cold aisle so small that you can't actually bring out that 36-inch deep uh, driveway because there's just not enough room in the, in the aisle. So a lot of physical planning goes into, goes into uh, supporting some of the blade servers mo a lot more than you, than you would think. <coughs> um, but as you go to the, uh, but as you talk about blade servers, you have things like um, flexibility questions, things like can you get um, 10 gig, 25 gig, 40, 50, and 100 gig out of the back of the, out of the, back of the blade servers. Um, in some cases, you can't, you, you do it by just exposing the actual networks on, on, you know, to the chassis or, you know, from the back of the chassis. Or sometimes if there's dedicated switches in the, in the middle, you, you end up with limitations in terms of capacity. Um, for me, I've, I've usually erred on the side of going with a dense servers that don't have an integrated switch, something more like the Supermicro2U twins or the equivalent Dells or some of the uh, open compute stuff. That also looks interesting too. Right. So you bring up the there's a difference between trying to add compute density and then integrating network density into it as opposed to just using the kind of standard uh, network switching you've chosen for your data center. Yes, very much so. The, um, yeah, I'm, maybe that's just more of my networking background, but I'm very, very happy with, I would like to dictate the network capacity and build it and scale it, uh, you know, according to, to what I want, as opposed to having a integrated switch with limited capacity or limited uplink and, you're not quite sure about what the redundancy looks like, whereas this way you can you can build it your own way and dictate it that way. What's your take on uh, with storage arrays? Particularly, there's uh, alternate networking that becomes available. Um, is that something that you favor or not? Kind of the iSCSI of the worlds and fiber channel over Ethernet, those type yeah. of things. There's um, so I've recently looked into a few of that um, things like yeah, fiber channel, fiber channel over Ethernet. Um, Rocky, Rocky V2, things like that. The, uh, I will say my, my heart is mainly in the Ethernet world, so I'll, um, I usually predominantly stay on Ethernet. Um, and a lot of the technologies that have come out have been pretty affordable. And now with something like 25 gig, 25 gigs really about 20% um, more expensive than 10 gig. And 100 gig really seems to be only about a 20% uplift over 25 gig. Um, eventually you might have some density problems or capacity problems at the switch layer, but you know, that's, those seem to be really good choices. And now you're starting to see things like 400 gig out there. And yeah, the, 
there's some really interesting uh, developments happening there. So you're saying Ethernet is keeping up? Ethernet seems to be keeping up, and there's things like uh, priority buffering, data center bridging that seem to try to straddle the world of making you not go with dedicated infinity band or fiber channel switches on the back end. So when you're in the data center, uh, connecting it all relies, as you mentioned earlier, on cross-connects. And uh, I know all of us in the data center world have had a lot of um, experience with cross-connects portals uh, and you know making sure we, we can make those connections. Uh, I know you've thought a lot about it. What's your kind of current take on on the world there? Sure. So the <clears throat> one of the hardest things is when you when you want to order a circuit from a provider is trying to figure out, you know, is a provider built in? And more importantly, if they are built in, you want multiple circuits from them, are they built in redundantly? Um, to actually see the, to actually work with the provider and say, I have a circuit that's on path A that lands on equipment A, and I want a circuit on path B that's on equipment B, and they both take separate paths out of the building. That's something you need to really work with your vendor to find out. And in some, in a lot of cases, your data center vendor, if you ask them for information as to, is that possible? They'll usually just push you back on the provider. Um, in terms of getting cross connects, um, there's a lot of hurdles. Um, my strong recommendation is to pre-wire a panel yourself so that you know where everything is on your side. And then you start assigning specific ports on uh, as you order cross connect so that you know exactly what that matches to, exactly what port that goes to, um, so that everything should theoretically come up sooner. Um, if, you can, if you can do the pre-wiring, uh, the other thing is when you assign a port before you open the cross connect is to actually go and start sending light down your port so that then when you, when the, as they're working on the circuit, you can also put in their standard notes like, I'm sending light, make sure you see my light all the way down at the, at the far end of the, uh, of the circuit to make sure that it comes up. Um, I've certainly run into cases where though, where, um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I I tried working with a large global data center provider to say, how could I do a, a global deployment with them across multiple continents? And I said, is there a globally supported patch panel I can use so that I can do this just standard cookie cutter layout? And in one case, they said, nope, we don't have a global standard. Um, everything's individually reviewed, and everything can be individually rejected. Um, <laughs> That was kind of a nightmare, so I uh, I did eventually get that fixed, but it it took a good amount of work to uh, to get to that point. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, as as their world is evolving too. That maybe uh, at, at times folks like yourself have had to shape their world, not just the other way around. Definitely. Um, for some people, I I really appreciate all the. Sorry, I'm going to start that again. I really appreciate all the detail on data center and your perspective. Some people in the era of cloud would say, well, what do we even need data centers for? Can't we just put it all in the public cloud? Uh, how do you feel about the role of the data center in the role of cloud, in the era of cloud? 
Uh, give me one second. I'm trying yeah. to find that, that section. That's fine. I think I'll ask it again anyways. Yeah, I, I decided to skip. I'll just maybe get the last two questions, if that's oh, okay. Yes. Or two of the last three. We don't have to talk about Composable. Let's just talk about, uh, if you don't mind, just Data Center and then Edge. Sure. Those yes. two. And then, and then I'll let you go. I really appreciate, Colin, you're taking the extra time. Oh, no worries. Um, so let me maybe ask that again. So Colin, you've given us great insight into the data center and the details about working with it and optimizing it. There are some who would say data centers don't matter to enterprises in the era of the cloud. The data center is someone else's problem, but whether that's Amazon or Azure or Google or other. Um, why do you think data centers still matter for corporations and enterprises? So I think it still has a lot of fits, uh, but depending upon need. So it's great at the edge, as you can work directly with the networks you need to connect to. Um, in the case of content, working with the eyeball networks and interact with them to make sure you have the performance you need to their network. Um, also with a large amount of egress, the as you send your data out, it will be um, it will be cheaper if you send your traffic out, you know, out of your own infrastructure than if you are uh, paying on a in in the cloud world, you pay on what's called a, a gigabyte transferred method. Whereas if you're doing it at, on your own infrastructure, you're doing it either through a settlement-free interconnect through uh, through peering, or you're doing paid peering, or you're doing transit. Um, usually on like a 95th percentile basis, that will be cheaper if you have enough traffic to to make that account. Yeah, um, that's a, this is a key point that enterprises should be aware of if they are not, um, which is that the public clouds make a lot of their money on this line item that you're mentioning on the, the kind of data coming out of their data center. So if you're pushing a lot of traffic, it can really become prohibitive. Very much so. Um, also, if you, um, some of the other interesting things are if you do something like a lot of expensive cloud processing by running, um, if you took some of that standardized workload and actually moved it to your infrastructure, um, you can go and you know save the money by running it there. The, uh, that is also kind of a mixed bag. I mean, the hardware you're looking there is on a uh, on like a three year depreciation cycle, but but some of the, some types of the hardware things like GPUs are changing on a at a faster cycle. But at the same time, you've also got the cloud, which is charging you a twelve to eighteen month depreciation cycle for the hardware anyway. So, depending upon how you do it, you can um, it it may make sense to go move some of it uh, some of it back to your own infrastructure. Um, but then again, all that being said, um, you still need to avoid a single point of failure. So even if you had your own, your own data center and you're running your own infrastructure, you, you still need to be paranoid enough that, you know, either the fire marshal comes in, could go and, you know, shut your building down and hit the EPO at any point, or, you know, a fire could break out that results in the data center having to lose power or things like that. So there are, you know, you should always try and keep everything to a point where you have redundancy, and that is your, you know, that is the main thing to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And um, you mentioned edge, and uh, mostly we've been talking about it in the context I would usually say is the network edge, as you, as, as you talked about, how uh, providers that are moving a lot of traffic can move closer to their customers. Um, obviously, there's a lot of momentum around just the term of edge in general. Uh, and in edge data centers, 
usually talking about uh, moving sometimes closer to customers, but also IoT and industrial IoT. Uh, how do you view the concept of edge data centers? So there's a lot of really, uh, really cool ideas that the, um, you know, most traditionally most people started in the, uh, the original six or seven tier one markets. And then after they've got that solved, they, uh, they ended up moving to the, the tier two markets to get better end user performance. The, the edge data centers seem to be solving a lot of the tier three locations as well as things like cell towers and some of the backhaul. Um, you know, in the in the quest to get better performance for all of your users, it's it's a good idea. Um, with a lot of things like the off-net caches and uh, all of the updating algorithms, um, it'll be very helpful for a lot of the big consumers who can support you know hundreds of thousands of like edge locations um, to solve their problems. Whether it's to serve more ads, get more user telemetry, maintain a higher quality of bitrate for video, that's you know that'll be huge. Um, it's not clear though that like a lot of the small consumers um, will be there at the moment, um, and you know the corollary to that is, and this is the problem I ran into, is that if this is super successful, um, how do you guarantee that that space in those you know small edge data centers doesn't get gobbled up by the same handful of customers, which then stop the next great startup from getting space there, you know, let at a reasonable price. Um, and since some of these spaces are, you know, as small as a standard semi-container that don't have a lot of rack space, um, you know, and they also have cooling power and fiber distribution, that, you know, space rapidly becomes a concern. So, Colin, I just uh, kind of uh, met a comment here. I just took a quick look at your uh, answer to Composable, and it's, it's pretty cool. Do you mind if I just ask you that as a final question? Sure. Great. So. So some would uh, look at the new concept of composable infrastructure as really taking the uh, architecture of the data center apart and reassembling it in a different way. What do you think about composable infrastructure? So I haven't really tried this extensively. Um, at, at the moment, Kubernetes seems to be the, uh, the thing, and it looks pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, I haven't really had too much time to test it. The, uh, that being said, though, there's... There, are many needs where people need both bare metal and uh, and VMs um, instead of just one or the other. So the idea of being able to utilize the cloud or wheel in racks and have them available as additional resources is a great thing. Um, that being said, I I do believe the ability to capacity plan, which was a core part of doing data center infrastructure originally, has kind of been lost. And so yeah, the you know the ideal the idea to burst is you know is very much needed these days as a result. So with capacity planning, you're saying people would normally, in the past, you'd run an exercise looking at the specific systems and the needs for those systems, and now that's all kind of too dynamic to plan for, is, is that what you mean? Uh, so traditionally getting um, data center space, so if you needed a, a rack worth of uh, gear from an integrator, usually the lead time there is about six to eight weeks with no warning, no planning, let's say. Um, and as a result, that, you know, usually that means you're running your infrastructure with either some headroom or with the ability to basically say, if everything goes south, you know, do we have enough to, you know, if I need to order a rack today, do I have eight weeks worth of headroom in my infrastructure? Um, 
now with things like, hey, I can just go and open up extra, you know, just order additional capacity from the cloud or just add, you know, <coughs> service, uh, service to my cart and all of a sudden I have servers. A lot of the idea around capacity planning hasn't, hasn't really, uh, you know, has kind of been lost. Um, at scale, though, you, you really need to, you know, know what your, you know, how, what your hardware needs will be, you know, not just two months away if you want a service today, but also months down the line and, you know, maybe even years down the line. And as you get to a really big scale, you run into cases where the cloud providers might not have capacity or they'll invite you to their, um, to their capacity planning meetings as well. Or they'll want to know what your forecast is, if, you know, if you're big enough for the cloud provider. Interesting. Well, great. Well, thanks very much, Colin. I appreciate uh, your answers today and, uh, and ongoing from the past and uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Thank you very much. It was a great time chatting. If you enjoyed this episode of CIO Speaks, please check out the other episodes in this series. Optimizing network interconnection in the changing cloud landscape is the focus of a new report called Connecting Clouds that Steve wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how IT leaders and organizations are overcoming challenges in the evolving cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies. Strategies.